question any thinking person as to why he never reads novels, and you will usually find that, at bottom, it is because of the disgusting tripe that is written by blurb reviewers. George Orwell. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And we are very excited to welcome Jesse Kniff from bookblurbmagic.com to talk about the magic that is necessary for writing blurbs. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. I found you through Instagram. I saw several of your reels, and then I kind of did a little bit of research into you. And a lot of that was because we get the question a lot of how do I write a blurb? And I admit I am not the best with this. All of my blurbs are too straightforward. So I actually reached out to you and purchased your service for rewriting my blurb for Toxic. And it went above and beyond anything that I could write myself because I realized I am not good at hype writing. We are both very impressed (laughs) by your writing. Great job there. Oh, thank you so much. And it's so nice to hear that because that's honestly, I think my favorite thing about blurb writing is being able to kind of like bounce people's art back to them in this I don't want to say hyped up way. I find it interesting you use that word and maybe we'll touch on that a bit later because I actually think it's important that book blurbs don't hype or maybe it's accurate hype. Maybe that's what I'm going for. But it's really nice to kind of reflect people's work back to them and be like, this is how great it is. Like, this is what I really like see in your work. And this is what you've told me about your work. And this is what we want other people to see in your work. And that's honestly my favorite part about the job. Absolutely. So can you give us an introduction about who you are and how you got started into writing blurbs? The short story is accidentally. Um, (laughs) So what was it? Beginning of 2020. So background, I've been a music teacher for 13 years. This is my first year only writing, not just teaching music, which is super exciting. Full-time in Book Blur Magic now. But I've always done writing on the side. So I've been a music critic for upwards of 10 years for one of our um, national papers here in Australia. Always done freelance writing, freelance editing. And then beginning of 2020, I had a little less teaching work than normal. And I was like, I've got one day free a week. I want to make up my income. Why don't I do more writing? So I had recently self-published a book on running your own piano studio. The blurb for which I need to update because that was the very first blurb I ever wrote. And it's okay. It's possible. I've sort of like, that was my experiment in self-publishing. And I was like, I'm just going to leave that over there. So if you find it, don't judge me on that. It's a little project I need to come back to. But I had done that. And I was like, it sort of just popped into my mind. And I was like, well, uh, book blurb didn't take me all that long to write. It's a short piece of writing. I didn't want to get involved in huge projects for people. So I was like, I wonder if people would pay me to write their blurbs, which in hindsight is a hilarious question. But I need to emphasize how clueless I was going in as to the fact that this was even a need in this niche. And so beginning of 2020, I think it was like February, I put up a thing on Fiverr and I was like, I'll write your book blurb for I think it was like $15. And it took a month or so before someone hired me. And I think it was this very intense political book that I had to write a blurb for. And then it kind of went from there. I got a couple of five-star reviews. And then after about a month, Fiverr picked me as like a quality gig. And they're like, we're assigning you your own like salesperson for six months. And we're going to push you to the top of the rankings and you're getting really good feedback. I don't know how long I was on Fiverr for before I switched my business. I think about six or seven months. I made a stupid amount of money, for, especially considering how low my prices were. I was writing upwards of 11, 12 blurbs a week on top of my full-time job. And there's, you know, a fair bit of like reading and research that goes into each one of them. It was I was up to all hours. 
And I was at the top of all of the blurb gigs on Fiverr for ages. It was just like this insane influx. And what I noticed was that my customers kept saying to me one of two things and sometimes both. One was, oh my goodness, I could not write the blurb. I don't know how you wrote it, but it's perfect. It's reflecting my book. I just couldn't get there myself. Which from my point of view, I was like, you wrote a whole book. Like I'm in awe of you. How can you not write a blurb? This is easy. For me, it was just so weird. And I totally understand why it's not easy now, but that was how naive I was. And the second thing was that a lot of them said to me, you're like the fifth or sixth person I've come to. Everyone else has messed it up. It's just not quite right. Thank you so much for getting it right. Like there was just this huge outpouring of gratitude. And I was like, what have I discovered? Like, what is this? And Fast forward to the end of 2020, I knew that I was going back into a full-time teaching role and I was like, I don't want to let this go. This is great fun. So I was like, I'm a teacher. I'll create a course. So I created a course and I wasn't throwing money at marketing or anything like that. It's just kind of grown organically on Instagram. And then I started getting ridiculously good feedback. Like even I was shocked. Like I knew I'd put a lot into this course, but I was like, I don't know if authors want to learn to write their own blurbs. Like maybe there's a reason they're paying me to do it. And, you know, to, there's there's obviously a divide. Some people want to do it themselves. Some people want to pay me to do it. And that's totally fine. That's why I do both. But it was just so gratifying as a teacher to have authors come to me and say, oh my goodness, I actually understand blurbs now. And then they'd send me their blurbs and I was like, oh my goodness, it's, it is working. Like their blurbs are awesome. It's just kind of grown from there. I pulled back my teaching because I wanted to do more blurbing. I offered more custom services, more one-to-one services. And now this is what I do full-time as of 2023, which is the dream. I'm so excited to be here. And that is incredible because both of us have published books, both of us have written our own blurbs before, and it is a very difficult process. It is not easy because I think a lot of it is we know everything about our story and we try to explain too much in a blurb. We try to put it all in there because we're super excited about the story and it just drags it down. So can you tell Mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. what exactly is a blurb and how is that different than a synopsis? this is the key thing that you've touched on there is the difference between blurb and synopsis. First up, I want to distinguish. So a blurb these days refers to what copywriters call, and I'm sure you've heard these terms before, back cover copy or the book description. Once upon a time, and if you're querying more traditional agents and things like that, especially if they've been in the industry for a while, to them, a blurb is the endorsement that goes on the front or back cover. So, you know, you might get your favorite author to read your book and they'll say, oh my goodness, I couldn't put this down. That traditionally is what a blurb was. These days, and especially in the self-publishing in the author niche, when you say book blurb, and this is the sense that I mean it in as well, I'm talking about the book description that is on the back cover of your book. So that's a first distinction to know, just in case you come across anyone who's been in industry for a few decades and is still using it that way. The second thing is a synopsis is a summary and a book blurb is not a summary. And this is where I think authors get really tangled up in trying to write a blurb is that they try to write a summary. So a synopsis, summary of your whole plot, it should include spoilers, it should include everything it gives an agent or a publisher or whatever else insight into how your entire story plays out in just a couple of pages or shorter if they've requested that. A book blurb actually has a different narrative arc to your story because if you write a book blurb, and this is why a lot of authors hate their blurbs because they can tell something is off. And I will say, always trust your gut. Like authors do know what's up. That's part of the reason that I wrote the course. It's part of the way I operate the way I do is that I do trust authors in terms of knowing when a blurb is hitting the mark or not. But the authors will know that their blurb is off if they write it like a summary, but they just often don't know why. And the reason is that if we write a blurb like a synopsis, it's a good deal shorter. So the ideal book blurb should fall between about 150 to 200 words. 
is that if you write your blurb like a summary that stops where the spoilers start, you leave your readers not wanting more. It's kind of like there's no momentum. Things just drop off a cliff. And that also leaves you as the author feeling like, oh, but there should be something more in there because I know how great the ending is. I want to hint at how great the spoilers will be, but they often don't know how to do that. And I will stress that's usually what makes blurb writing hard is that there's not a great deal of education out there for authors on how to write a blurb, but lots on how to write a novel. So do think about that next time you feel bad about struggling with your blurb. It's just that you need to learn how, but that's the key difference. The book blurb should not be thought of as a summary. It has a different beginning, middle and end to your book. And it's learning how to do that that changes everything, not to be too dramatic. (laughs) So can you let me know what's the difference between a good blurb and a bad blurb? Like if you just pick up a book and you turn it over, you can immediately tell because you're an expert at blurbs. If it's a good blurb or a bad blurb, how do you know? It's funny, there's several things and there's several things across different genres as well. Like what makes a standard nonfiction blurb bad is different from what makes a fiction blurb bad. But to kind of condense it, too much jargon. So anything that your readers are not particularly going to understand. And this is a big thing, not just in nonfiction, but also in fantasy. Most fantasy blurbs, I will try to avoid all of the jargon of the book and just describe in general terms what's happening. So if you have a particular name for a particular kind of race, for example, I'm more inclined to explain that they come from the neighboring country than actually give you their name. Names and jargon are a lot for readers to process. And following on from that, too many names. A bad blurb will have too many names in it. I'm not quite sure what the scientific reasoning for this is, but there's something about names and jargon that takes up a lot more cognitive load to process. And the last thing you want your reader to be doing is struggling to understand who's who before they've even had a chance to get interested in your story. And if I'm going to round this off to three main things that make a bad blurb, it would be that it focuses on plot, not on emotion which might sound counterintuitive, but if you compare the plots of Star Wars and Harry Potter on paper, they are really not very different. It's ridiculous how many plot points they share. But those characters and those worlds are entirely different. So it is actually the feel of your world, the feel of your characters, or in nonfiction, what kind of ideas you are actually selling to your reader that is so much more important than plot or basic structure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And One of the things that kind of stuck out to me in your description was the connection. A lot of the things that make a bad blurb make it difficult for the reader to connect with the story. And that's really the purpose of a blurb, to get them in and get them connected immediately so that they want to read the rest of the story. I recently read a book and it turned out to be a really good book. But the whole first third of the book was bouncing between a dozen different characters and it made it really hard to Mm. connect with them. And Mm -hmm. I I sort of call it the animal farm problem because I just remember reading George Orwell's Animal Farm in secondary school, like most of us did, and being like, there are so many names. Like, how many animals do we get introduced to in the first couple of chapters? Like, you've got to remember all these names. And while that's, you know, I'm not saying you should never do that in a novel. Obviously, it worked very well for that one. But in a blurb, when you have such limited real estate, And also the purpose of your blurb is to get readers to even buy your book. Once they've bought your book, they're at least invested in reading it a little bit. They might DNF, but they're at least invested in reading it a little bit. So you've sort of got a more captive audience. But when you're out there competing with just, you know, them scrolling away or them walking past your book on the shelf, a blurb reading experience should be completely effortless for the reader. Every sentence should just make them want to read the next sentence and the last sentence should make them want to read the book. It's as simple and as hard as that. (laughs) Do you have a favorite blurb? 
that is like your reference that you return to when you're saying this is what a good blurb looks like to other authors? No. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's interesting. Like I have blurbs that I love. I'm always looking for new and innovative things that people are doing because people are always stretching the rules and I use rules very, very loosely here. But I never want to write and I never look for formulaic blurbs. And what I mean by that is, so if you buy the Book Blurb Magic course, or you can get a taste of it, actually, I've got a freebie at the link in my bio on Instagram. So you can head there and grab my free cheat sheet, which kind of gives you the basic outline. But even though Book Blurb Magic teaches you a formula, it will never go so far as to say you need three sentences in this paragraph and this sentence should introduce the character, this sentence should introduce the inciting incident, and this sentence should, you know, up the ante. I will never go that far because writing blurbs is very much still a case-by-case basis and I'm still finding new ways to stretch those boundaries a little bit. Writing a good blurb is about playing enough into the convention of what readers will expect when they read a blurb. So we all have preconceived ideas of what the care instructions label on our clothing will be like. It's not written like Tolstoy. We know kind of what we're looking for. We know when we read a recipe book roughly what structure that recipe is going to take. But not all of them are written the same. And lots of chefs, for example, write their recipes very differently. Some with more flair. You read a Nigella cookbook, it's very different from others. So a little bit like coloring books, you've got the lines, but you're not told how to color within them so specifically because that is what makes everybody's voice able to stand out. And that is something that's really crucial, I think, when writing a blurb is that your author voice is allowed to shine through. And there are blurb books and instructions and stuff out there on the market that are great. And there are others that are so formulaic, they will literally tell you every single sentence to write. And while that might mean that you write a serviceable blurb, and if you only ever need to write one blurb in your life and that's it, it's probably fine. But I really don't like to hold up one blurb as a paragon of all blurbs because to me, they are just so individual. And that's what's so important to me. When you walk past a bookshelf of all these different blurbs, you should be able to hear all of the author voices in those blurbs so that we know what kind of worlds we're about to dip into. We don't want them to all sound or look a particular way to a point. (laughs) It sounds to me a lot like book covers, where we've talked a lot on our podcast about when you create a cover, it needs to tell the story of your book. Yes, it needs to fit within the expected genre ideas, because you want to be able to look at the cover and say, yes, this is a fantasy book. Yes, this is a romance book. But if you follow a formulaic plan to make it fit with the rest of them, it suddenly blends in. And then you can go to the bookstore and you look at 10 different books in the YA section and they all kind of look the same. And you're not sure if they belong in the series or not because none of it stands out anymore. And then you risk just blending in rather than standing out. Yeah, it's standing out just enough without being totally unrecognizable to your ideal readers. So you mentioned a moment ago that you had this PDF on your website and through your Instagram link in bio. What we would like to do is also link to that through the landing page for this episode so people can find you by hitting our website and then going to yours. But can you talk us through what's in there and what authors should start to look at? Yes. So first up, if you go to anatomyofabookblurb.com, you can just go straight there. But essentially, it's a really simple PDF that grazes the surface of what's taught in Book Blurb Magic. I just want to make that clear because sometimes I think people have downloaded it and been like, this doesn't tell me everything I need to know about blurbs. So just to clarify, it introduces you to what's taught in the course. And some authors have said that that's enough for them. So it depends where you are on your blurb writing journey. But essentially, it takes you through the basic fiction book blurb structure and the basic non-fiction book blurb structure. 
And when I talk about nonfiction blurb structure, I'm talking about not creative nonfiction because if you're writing creative nonfiction, you're going to be using the fiction blurb formula. It's slightly misnamed, but it does make it mostly easier. But essentially the fiction formula is more of a storytelling formula. So if you've written like your memoir, you're not going to be writing the blurb like a self-help book, for example, necessarily. So that's the distinction that I make. And so in this PDF, I just really quickly show you all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that you should have. And then in Book Blurb Magic, the course, we actually go in depth. For example, a lot of authors struggle to write the hook, which should be the first line of your blurb. It should really stand out, catch the eye. On Amazon, it's like that first part that readers can actually see in the book description. A lot of authors struggle with writing a hook. And I'll say right now, writing a hook takes me longer than writing the rest of the blurb usually. It's, it's super, super important. So I actually go through and give three hook formulas, which are nice jumping off points where you can write a blurb that will not sound formulaic, but it just gives you that nice little framework to work within. So you're not just sitting there staring at a blank page going, where do I start? So the in-depth step-by-step literally tell you every next step you need to do is in the course, but the PDF is a great jumping off point if you want to learn a bit more about what I teach and you want some tips to just get your blurb started. When you are talking to an author and introducing them to the concepts of a uh, book blurb and all of that, is there any mistake that you tell them to look out for, common ones that you see often? I think what I touched on earlier about too many names is a big one focusing too much on plot over how we should be feeling. So it's not about trying to cram your whole plot into 150 words. So if we're talking about fiction, it's about telling us who we're going on the journey with, why they're going on the journey, what could possibly happen if they fail. That's what it boils down to. That's all we really need to know to know whether we're interested in reading a fiction book. With a non-fiction book, it's telling us about what sort of a person we can be after reading a book. For example, if you're selling a book about how to write a better novel, you are selling the idea to a person that they will become a better novelist, not just a bunch of random tips. It's like, you will be a better novelist for having read this book and why you're the person to maybe tell them about that. You can outline yourself as an authority in that niche, or you can talk about how your approach is different from other people's. And it's good I did have some bullet points in a nonfiction blurb as well, outlining those main benefits, because people reaching out for a nonfiction book are looking most likely to kind of skim through and see if this information is right for them. And when you have a more information-dense book, like an instructional manual or whatnot, then bullet points really help to get that across. So focusing on the wrong elements, I guess, is the biggest mistake that I see. And that just comes usually from viewing it as a synopsis, trying to cram your whole plot or a detail from every single chapter of your book into the blurb rather than focusing on what it needs to center around. And the way I sort of visualize this for authors, and this usually kind of creates a bit of a light bulb moment, is that you're not working from the outside in like a squish kind of motion. If I'm on Instagram, I usually do this visually, sort of hold my hands apart and go, you know, we're not moving them into the center. That's not how you write a book blurb. I know that's often how we write a book. We write everything and then we cut down, but that's not how we want to think about a book blurb. We actually want to work from the inside out. So you find that one focus, that one point around which your whole blurb should revolve. And that's what I look for when an author sends me their book information. I'm like, right, what's the one thing this blurb needs to revolve around? And then I work out from that. Everything in the blurb serves that one point, and that is a heck of a lot easier than doing the opposite. Well, that's a good way to think about it. I like that. I think so. I like it. <laughs> I think one of the things that's important when you're writing a blurb is also keeping in mind what format it's going to go into. It's going to go onto the back cover of a book or in a hardcover case, like the inside slip cover. And it's also going to go onto Amazon into the book descriptions on websites. 
So is there anything that you would point out for formatting specifically, whether you're using bolds, italics, caps, any of that like technical formatting? Less is more. Nonfiction is a big culprit for this, actually. I think we get a little bit excited about what our book can do for people. And it's like, bold this, italics this, underline this. For a fiction blurb, the only thing I bold and italicize for the Amazon description, if you're talking about the physical hard copy, your cover designer is probably going to have some say in how they present that. And I would trust them if you've got a good cover designer. They should know how the blurb should look, how the pieces of text should sit on your individual cover. And that does vary from genre to genre and book to book. But in terms of Amazon, the only thing I bold and italicize in a fiction blurb is the hook. So that first line up at the top that really stands out. And I always put a call to action at the bottom of my book descriptions on Amazon, which a lot of people are uncomfortable with. So a call to action is basically just saying, scroll up and click buy now to read such and such today. It can be as simple as that. And a lot of authors feel very uncomfortable about including that. But here's the thing. My apartment block has a very, very obvious number on the front of it. It's just so obvious to see. And for some reason, the amount of people who stop me in front of my building and ask for the number of my building is ridiculous. People don't always see something that is in plain view. It's not a given they're going to necessarily get to the end of your blurb and go, oh, I'm going to go click buy now. That tiny little reminder, it's not about being salesy or pushy or in their face. That tiny little reminder essentially creates like this slippery dip effect. If your blurb is good, they should read the hook. They should want to read the first paragraph, the second paragraph, and so on, all the way down to your call to action, which then goes, whoop, this is where you want to go next. But that call to action and the hook are the only two things that I will bold and sometimes italicize. Sometimes I don't use italics at all. I'll often use italics if the hook is like a, a dialogue quote or something like that. Honestly, it's not going to make or break your sales, but bold is a must for that. In terms of nonfiction, I will often also bold the author's name if I mention them in the blurb. So if I say Lee Hull is a multi-published author, da, 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 this is why you should learn about books from them, then I will, I will bold the author's name. I will also bold or italicize. I wouldn't do both. I'd stick to one. A few of the keywords perhaps in the bullet points just to help for skimming. But really, really, really less is more. If you are unsure, then don't. <laughs> that would be my biggest advice for that. It can get very busy very quickly and it can look, I feel, very amateurish very quickly, a bit shouty, a bit desperate. So just real understated. Try to look for natural points where the eye might rest and where you might want them to settle on certain keywords and bold a couple of those and then leave it at that. I like to think a lot of the Incredibles movie, the villain who's like, if we're all super, nobody's super. And that's the same thing with the formatting. If everything yep. is bold, nothing is bold. Totally agree. Totally agree. So I think one of the questions that a lot of authors wrestle with and a lot of things that's easy to get wrong is context. I want to tell you that this character is the uncle of my main character who also is an FBI agent and all of this. How do I contextualize something to create an emotional connection without just going overboard and showing way too much information? Mm. The first question you need to ask yourself is not, is this important or would I like the readers to know this? Is Do the readers have to know this at all? Is it absolutely essential that they know that the character's uncle is an FBI agent? So it has to be like, there's no, there's no nuance here. It's either absolutely essential or you throw it in the bin. And this is where it can feel a little bit brutal, but all, I mean, all of my clients agree at the end, they're like, that was totally necessary. 
I'll use an example from a recent blurb that I wrote. It's a young adult novel. This young girl has a mother with lots of expectations for her. Her father recently died and she's trying to follow in his footsteps for his career. The secondary thing for the mother was not only did she have these expectations for the young girl that she go and do her father's career, she was also working for a rival company that was actually going to trash something that her father cared about. Now, I chose not to include that particular detail because while we talked about the conflict of, yes, this thing her father loved was under threat and the girl is fighting to save it, the crucial thing the reader needed to know was the mother had a lot of heavy expectations. If we start adding the details and go, and also the mother's involved in this, it wasn't necessary to the actual main character's central dilemma and what's affecting them immediately. Is it essential to the story overall, like when they read the book, that they find that out? Of course. And that's like an added dimension. But it wasn't actually crucial for readers to even understand and empathize with the dilemma the main character found themselves in. And I had a conversation with the author about this because that was one of the things that they asked me. They said, do you think this should be in the blurb? Like, I can't decide. And I was like, that's something that I thought about too. It stopped me. And I went, does this need to be in there? Because it's one of those details we could have stuffed in there. But I felt, and the author agreed, that it actually didn't make an enormous amount of difference in whether or not the ideal readers were resonating with the dilemma that the main character found themselves in. So it's something that you probably will find difficult when you first start writing blurbs because it can be difficult to decide what is and isn't crucial. Because as the author, you'll often feel like everything's crucial. You understand how all of the moving parts fit together. You understand how everything's related. I do a specific exercise inside of Book Blurb Magic that specifically helps authors step outside of that and become able to look at their story from the outside and make these decisions. But it does come down to being really brutally honest with yourself and going, if the reader didn't know this, would they still care enough about where my main character is? And you'll often find you can discard a lot of those details and you're left with just the bare essentials, which then come across so much easier and they're much, much simpler to contextualize. To kind of put into context what you were describing, it reminded me of the difference between the blurb that I had originally and then the one that you had created for me. So I'm going to read real quick my Mm -hmm. original one and then compare it to the edits. Amazing. Amazing. So the original is... Chaos will reign. Athena Dellis, a professional gamer and cosplayer, is in the middle of the best month of her life. She's at her favorite place, the annual comic book convention, and her esports team is getting ready for regional championships. It's the first year they've had a real chance to take down their rival and current title holder. Just that paragraph has so much unnecessary information. It's so funny because I was listening to that being like, didn't include that, didn't include that, didn't. But I do feel, and like, I'm assuming you feel the same way, like that that was still conveyed in the paragraph I wrote. Did you want to read that one out as well? Yes. Can they catch the killer before it's game over for good? Athena Thea Dellis is a pro. So when the captain of her esports team, Raging Chaos, is murdered shortly before the regional championships, Thea is determined to level up and crack the case just as soon as that pesky FBI agent takes her off the suspect list. So that's just the first paragraph of each one, and it conveys Mm. so much more about the story and not all of the excess details. So later in what you revised, you mentioned what she's dressed up as when the FBI agent meets her, so you get that cosplayer in there, and then you have all these other references that are throughout the thing without feeling like an info dump. Yeah, so it was important to know that they were at Comic-Con, but the only reason it was important to know that they were at a Comic-Con is because somebody is killed in the midst of all of this and the FBI agent is left wondering, well, how did that happen? There's people everywhere. 
That's the only reason that detail is important. And that's what I put into the second paragraph there. I'm showing the reader that through the eyes of the FBI agent. The reason your initial first paragraph sounded like a bit of an info dump is because the fact that your character is at Comic-Con is just kind of like in her own head, but that's not actually affecting the dilemma of the story. The dilemma of the story is a murder mystery. And the Comic-Con adds a layer to that because it's like, well, how on earth did this killer manage this with all of these people around? That's why that detail is important for the blurb. That detail is important to your character in the book because she loves cosplay and she loves these kind of conventions. But we don't need to know that she particularly loves that necessarily in the first paragraph of the blurb because it doesn't link directly to the dilemma when presented like that. And the other thing that I wove in there, like I, I did want to get in there that she's a cosplayer, that's important. But I chose to actually reveal that through the eyes of the guy she meets, the FBI agent, referencing like, you know, why is the girl dressed up as such and such always in the wrong place at the wrong time? Because that's then contextualized within the dilemma. So I made sure that everything is revolving around the improbability of somebody getting murdered in the midst of all of these people. And then also how that your two key characters are feeling around that. And I also just wanted to mention, I really felt strongly from the description you gave me of the book. And I will just say here for your listeners, in case they don't know, I don't read the whole book for writing the blurb. My process is that I have a questionnaire that the authors fill out, and that is how I get your author voice. And it also helps me actually sift very, very quickly through the information to determine what's most important. And you can give me dot points if you want, but it's best when it's literally just like a word vomit of like, so this is what my book is about. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And authors always naturally reveal what is important. Like, I'll notice that you talk about one character more than the others or one aspect of a character more. And I'm like, oh, this is really important to that character. I don't want people to now be overthinking it if they buy a blurb from me. But don't analyze yourself, basically, is what I'm saying when you give me that information. But what I took from your information is that Thea is just, she's such a pro in like everything she does. Not only is she like pro cosplayer, pro gamer, I feel like she's the person to also crack the case. Like she's just good and strong at everything she does. And so I wanted that to be that first sentence because to me, that was actually the most important facet of her character. And like you've introduced her as a professional gamer and cosplayer. I've just introduced her as a pro. That's just her across the board. And I'm guessing that resonated with you. That was accurate? Yes, absolutely. When I first read it, I looked at that and went, Yes, that summarizes everything that the people really need to know about my main character mm -hmm. immediately is that, yes, she is good at those things that she focuses on and puts her mind to. So being able to solve a murder is something that is plausible and within reach for her. Absolutely. Because we need to feel like she actually is a character who could solve a murder mystery. And we don't necessarily know that if we just know what her passion is. But making the statement that she's a pro, you're kind of like, yeah, she's got this. She's got this. So this month, we on the podcast have been talking about taking your book from first draft to publishing and that distance in between. One of those things is, of course, blurbs, which is why we have you here. Where in that process do you suggest people start thinking about blurbs? Great question. The story needs to be as finished as possible before you write the blurb. I've worked on blurbs with authors in like the final stages of editing. And then I've had them come back to me after we finished the blurb and go, oh, something changed in the last edit. And now the blurb doesn't work. You really don't want to put yourself in that situation. So I would say as much as possible, and I know launching a book is crazy and the scheduling can be crazy, but I would say as much as possible, leave it until your manuscript is like finished, finished, because the tiniest change can affect the tiniest nuance. Like that's the thing about blurbs is they're so nuanced, then everything is off. 
if you believe your book to be finished and you write the blurb and then something changes, you know, out of your control down the track, I mean, that's a bit different. But to the best of your knowledge, I really feel the manuscript should be like in the proofreading stages, maybe in the line editing stage, but not in a story changing, character changing way at all. The turnaround for my blurbs is three to four weeks, depending on how busy my queue is at the time. So you also want to factor in whatever the lead time is for your cover designer as well. You'll need the blurb copy for the cover designer. So that's always something to think about how long your blurb ride is going to take, how long your cover design is going to take. But in terms of chronological, make sure that your manuscript's done. We're not going to get any more changes after that. Otherwise, you might end up having to pay for a second rewrite, which you don't want to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really enjoyed using your services. Can you break down what you offer and the difference between the blurb audit and you writing the blurb Mm. for the person? Sure. So I've got at the moment three main offerings and you can see them all on bookblurbmagic.com. So Book Blurb Magic is the course. It's $37 lifetime access. It treats both fiction and nonfiction blurbs. The lessons split up, whichever kind of author you are. If you want the DIY route, that's a great way to go. Once you're in the Book Blurb Magic course, you have access to discounted blurb critiques from me. So you can actually, at any point, once you're a BBM alumni, you can send me your blurb. You get a discounted price for me to send back a little like voice memo, video, screen share kind of thing, just chatting through the strengths and weaknesses, which I offer because people who go through the course inevitably write better blurbs and it takes less time for me to critique a blurb that's been in there. Higher level services include my one-to-one blurb audit or the custom blurb service. So if you've written a blurb and you're just not sure whether it's finished or you feel like there's something lacking, if you've only just taken BBM and you feel like you want some more one-to-one mentorship to really up your blurb game, then what we do is that service is $97. You hop on a one-hour Zoom call with me. 99.9% of the time, we finish the entire blurb in that call. And the rest of the time, you get a week after to chat with me on Voxer which is just like a WhatsApp messaging thing if there's any other final tweaks to be made. So it's essentially like a blurb in a box. Like you come to me with your blurb draft. We sometimes rip the guts out of it. Sometimes there's smaller tweaks to be made, but you will come out of there with your blurb ticked off your to-do list. And that's really great if you want to learn more about blurb writing. You actually want to see how I'm bringing your author voice out or how I'm speaking to your genre, your characters, et cetera, so that you can be better at doing that yourself down the line. Other people just like the reassurance, which is also fine. And we have lots of fun. It's very, very supportive. A lot of people get nervous before them, but I'm never going to sit there and go, this is trash. I always look at your blurb beforehand. And if it was so trash, we couldn't work with it. I will let you know gently so you can rewrite it. But genuinely, we pretty much always work with what we've got. And there's always gems in what you write, even if we turn it upside down. And then if you're just listening to this and going, you know what? I just don't have time for this. This sounds like a lot of work. That's also totally fine because you can just pay me to write your blurb for you. So that's $220. Like I said, it's about a three or four week, including edits. So I usually get your blurb to you within two to three weeks. So we can then have a chat about it and go back and forth with a few tweaks. There's unlimited revisions. So I'm not happy till you are. And you also get, I do the HTML coding so that the bold, italics, paragraphs, etc., all format properly on Amazon KDP as well. So they're my main ones. I'm also revamping Spicy Blurb Playbook for Romance Authors, which is a course that does exist. I pulled it down because I'm doing some major updates. But if you join me on Instagram at Book Blurb Magic, I will let you know when it's being relaunched because that is going to focus very specifically on blurbs for romance authors because that's a whole other ballgame, which is super fun. One of the other things that was offered when I purchased the book blurb was revamping my author bio. So is that available oh, yes. anywhere else? I always else? forget about that. <laughs> yes. 
I usually only offer it in conjunction with the custom blurb, but if you shoot me an email, which is just jessie at bookblurmagic.com, and if you just need an author bio, then I'm totally happy to give you a custom quote and we can work on that for sure. You've given us a lot of great information and we're very grateful. I feel like I've learned a lot just having this conversation with you. Do you have other resources that you lean on that you enjoy and you would point authors toward in order to help develop their skills beyond what you offer? That's a tricky one because I haven't seen many places, actually, I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen any places, they might exist, that actually pull all of the blurb writing advice and strategy into one places. And my client, my students have told me that they've found other blurb courses, but there's been a lot of fluff and that mine has been the first one they've actually learned something from. So I can't speak comprehensively, but I will say it's a bit of a minefield out there. And if you Google how to write a blurb, there's a lot of conflicting evidence and a lot of difficulty. I do think there are some good blurb writing books on the market. They vary, but I've read several of them on Amazon and they've all got interesting things to offer. I'm just about to start the fantastic book, Blurb Your Enthusiasm, which is not about how to write a blurb, but it is just about the history of blurbs. And it's very, very nerdy, but very, very fun. So definitely explore and find what kind of works for your style. But I do like to just say if it feels overwhelming, Book Blurb Magic is a safe space (laughs) where we've got everything all there together for you. And like I say, the freebie is available anytime. Link in my bio or anatomyofabookblurb.com if you just want to dip your toe in the water. Oh, and I was going to say for those people listening right to the end, being very patient, if you use the code WRITINGROOTS, you can get 10% off the one-to-one blurb audit, Book Blurb Magic course, or custom blurb service. So if you're listening to that and use the code WRITINGROOTS, then you're in with a discount. Awesome. Thank you so much. Most welcome. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to give your final thoughts, any other places that we might find you on TikTok or Facebook or wherever else you are. Just Instagram, to be honest. Instagram's the place where I hang out. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I tried TikTok. It wasn't for me. I feel (laughs) you. I think both of us have kind of dipped our toes into TikTok and just, nope. I think my account's technically still up there, so people can probably find me and like click on the link in bio and get my freebie. But it was just a lot. And I was like, I can do Instagram well. I'm just going to do Instagram. Thank you again so much. You were a great help in recrafting my terrible blurb (laughs) and in all of this advice. And I think this is something we are really appreciative that you're here today because we have done a lot of research. We've done a lot of looks into the processes and steps of writing. And blurbs is probably the most important yet most difficult thing to really do well unless you have Mm. a good basis of understanding. Very much so. Very much so. The blurb makes the sale for you. It is super important, but it also shouldn't be intimidating. Just like when you're writing your novel, don't forget that when writing your blurb, you have to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing.